Welcome to the Global Marketing Show, the podcast for all things international business. I'm your host, Wendy Pease, president of Rapport International and a translation expert. Come along with me today as we talk to an expert in the global marketing world about facing their biggest fears, hearing about mistakes they made or saw, discussing best practices, and sharing fun travel language and culture stories. Welcome to another Global Marketing Show podcast. I am so glad that you're here today because we're going to have a fascinating story of a company that started in Norway and has had tremendous growth. We're going to welcome the Chief Marketing Officer. But before we get into that, let me just remind you that the podcast is sponsored by Rapport International, who provides translation services in over 200 languages, and they like to do tidbits and cultural education. So for today, let's talk about envy. Some business owners may have envy today when they hear about the growth rates of auto store. So when you think of a color to go with envy, what do you think of? Is somebody green with envy or are they yellow with envy? In English, we associate the color green with feelings of envy or jealousy. And it's also true in other languages like Spanish, Dutch, Norwegian, Finnish, in other languages. But in French and German, you can be both green and yellow with envy. So colors do make a difference in global marketing. All right. So on to today's guest, we're welcoming Marcus Mogius, and he is the CMO at Auto Store. He's been there two years, but he's had tremendous growth through the company. He's been in three different roles after starting as a consultant. So he's had quick promotions. Prior to this, he worked at PwC and KPMG. He was in the M&A advisory groups working with private equity and large corporations. So I know he's going to be an impressive person to talk about the growth. So Marcus, welcome. Yeah, thank you, Wendy, for having me. (laughs) Oh, I am so excited to hear your story and Auto Store's story. So why don't you tell me a little bit about Auto Store and how it got founded? Because it's an interesting story to me. Yeah, so it all started with the idea of optimizing space in the warehouses in the company. By then, uh, we belonged to a company called Hatteland Group, which was a Norwegian industrial technology company. And it was the technical director back then, Ingvar Hognaland, who wanted to optimize their own warehouses. And he put forward the idea of storing goods in a sort of Rubik's cube. And, and that resulted later on to auto store and the cube storage technology. Okay. And so ta- tell me about how that works and how auto yeah. store enables that. Yeah, so to, to explain how the cubic storage is, is uh, imagine you have bins with products in them stacked on each other, and those bins are inside a aluminum grid structure. And on top of that structure, you have tracks with robots running on top of them, picking up those bins and then transport them to the ports that are attached to this construction outside, where you either have people or robots picking up the products and preparing them for, 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 for ordering and delivery to the customers. And so does Auto Store provide the technology or 
just do you provide the whole structure like automating like coming in and building the robots yeah so yeah so we manufacture the hardware of the system with suppliers so the robots and and the ports and and the, and the grid but then we have in our go to market we have partnerships of distributors globally and regionally that helps us to both design the system with the customer but also install it and decommissioning it and commissioning so, it sorry <laughs> and commissioning it right and so yeah. each one each commission would be unique to that yeah. storage yeah. facility yeah yeah exactly and and that's why our you know our system is very modular so it's very flexible around how the warehouse looks like or if you used auto store behind your store at the mall for example so it's it's very flexible in the design okay all right and so it started in a small town in norway Tell yes exactly the... yeah 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 so it was in a small village called nedrevats on the west coast of norway and since then we have grown to become a, a global company so it it you know as i started in in 1996 after that 10 years we were hatteland were acquired by arrow electronics which later then announced autostore as a spin off and then we went through a commercial phase and grew quite much before covid but also during covid we we experienced quite a growth and in 2021 we were also listed at the Oslo stock exchange here in Norway. Okay, okay, so you just put a lot of information yeah. in these sentences <laughs> and I got to figure out which way to go. So you you're founded in so you're in a small town in Norway, so I'd like to know about you know was the original vision to go global from the start and then you went from you know, being a small company to on the stock exchange within what, like 20 years or something? Yeah, 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 approximately. Yeah. Okay. So start with the, the original concept and what the plan was to go internationally. Were you thinking you'd be a Norwegian company or were you thinking, or was the company, you weren't there at the time, but or was the company no, thinking no, but- global from the start? Yeah, but I know from my colleagues a very internal famous statement from from uh, Ingvar back then was that the, there should be as many bins as people in the world. And that was before we even had the first site at the customer. So the company has back then all always had global ambitions and really strong belief in our technology. So and, and that really, you know, you can see that in the culture of the company as well, that you know, there have always been global ambitions and, 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 and that has continued the growth. Okay. Yeah, I love that. In the U.S., many companies don't think global from the start or, you know, in other large countries because they no. think, oh, the domestic market is so big. But here you've got a Norwegian company that thinks yeah. global from the start. So Yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, and, and talking with colleagues that was you know, working without the store or, you know, at the at Hatteland at the time, they just say that it's, it's a fantastic journey of, of really, you know, being near Drevats, talking about global ambitions. And now 20, 25 years later, we are at that, that stage. Yes. Okay. So g- tell me about the growth. I mean, you've had 
phenomenal year over year growth for a long sustained period of time and had greater growth during COVID. So yeah. break that down for me. Yeah, so in the last 10 years, we have uh, realized the CAGR of 50% year over year. And during COVID, it's been more than that. So what we have seen is that before COVID, there were already you know, mega trends that supported the automation need in warehouses. But with COVID, that increased even further, very much when we moved more from offline to online for, for retailers and, and, and e-commerce boomed even more. So, so that's the, the, the trends that we have seen. Okay, that makes a lot of sense now, like during COVID with so many people shopping online, then all the supply uh, yeah. or the warehouses were struggling to upgrade and keep up. Yeah, yeah. So uh, as we have seen, so total volumes typically, you know, follows and increases in relationship to the GDP. But if we wait, just wait, compare, wait, say that yeah. again. Say that again. Yeah, that so, was very interesting to me. Yeah. So the total volumes of of transport we often see, especially business to consumer, is following uh, similar as the GDP. But what we saw when moving from offline to online, it's a complete different complexity because if you only have offline transporting, you know, goods on pallets on a regular uh, schedule to stores, it's it's scheduled and it's it's. It's quite standard, but if you manage the same volume, but with many, many more orders to different places in your market, that presents a complete other complexity for, for the logistics and warehouse managers. And to be able to steer your logistics and be efficient, then you need automation. So just take an example, uh, if I follow that up by an example, let's say we take the grocery space in the, in the US. Before COVID, the, the online volume was around 2 to 3%. But after COVID, and yeah, then it was small volumes. It could be managed by the store, either by the retailers themselves or using Instacart or such. But as the online volumes grow to what we estimate around 10%, the complexity of handling that volume increased quite a lot. And if you used your existing processes, you could, you know, you know, for the customers in the store, it could be a very bad experience having people running around doing online picking. So then the retailers need to reevaluate how they handle that online volumes, basically. So we have seen quite an increase in the automation <laughs> because of that. Okay. So number one, I'm surprised that only two to 3% were online purchases and only 10%. I thought that, you know, with the number of delivery trucks that I see through my neighborhood, I would have expected that to be higher. But then I guess if you put in cars, groceries, and large large goods yeah yeah this was this was mainly related to grocery so so grocery online pure, pure grocery yeah oh i see so this was grocery so few people yeah. were shopping online but it increased to 10% and it's maintained 10% since yeah then. so yeah so in grocery as other other segments such as apparel and such we saw 
you know, similar growth. But then when more and more opened up, we saw a little bit of a downturn and then that flattened a little bit. So now it's a more baseline, a little bit lower what we saw in COVID, but now increasing, but at the, at a slower rate. Okay. So some people have started returning to the stores but it definitely affected how much was going online. And then you make a very interesting point that I hadn't thought about is, yeah, if you're shipping to a store and then somebody's unloading it and putting it on shelves, it's you're doing bulk shipments, not the one-by-one shipments. No, exactly. Yeah. And so, so talk to me more about that because that's also a completely different setup yeah yeah and 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 that's and and with that comes more customer demand on having more flexible options of you know curbside pick pick up and and all that so so the omni channel strategy for retailers is even increasing to manage that seamless customer experience say a company go from fulfilling like you talked about all the different ways that people could handle it. Like you've got somebody running around the floor and picking, you've got, you know, a warehouse that's, or you're fulfilling it yourself from the back office to when you need to go to a store and think of it's automated because there's, there's gotta be different inflection points on there. So what are you seeing there? Yeah. Yeah. And it it can be very different from, from uh, segment to segment, but for example, we have a in-store, out-of-store with Decathlon in Canada, which is a quite interesting concept because they, uh, with implementing the out-of-store, they increase the warehouse volumes of stock quite a lot. So what they have enabled now is to have more freed up space for improving their customer experience in the store, but also they can fulfill their customer orders online from that store to to the whole country which have increased their you know addressable market and 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 network quite a lot so they're not subcontracting out to a warehouse they've built their own warehouse that's near the store so they can receive yeah. goods yeah, put so, it in so the actually, warehouse or move it yeah so yeah exactly so actually it is behind their store in a mall on the second floor. So it's a quite impressive uh, solution they have they have installed. Okay, so auto store isn't like your target market is not just warehouses and no, ex- supply. No, yeah, no, exactly. So we cover sort of the whole spectrum from being a, you know, an in-store storage application, fulfilling both products for the store and online orders to micro fulfillment dark stores up to you know large large high throughput applications so what's the smallest throughput or company that you'd work with oh it's a it's a good question as long as the products fit in our bin i would say most often we are a very good viable business case for a business to to use but I, you know, an initial investment can also, it depends about how many robots you need and how many SKUs you have, et cetera. So it, it depends a bit. Right, right. So I'm just thinking about all the e-commerce companies that have popped up 
And they yeah. go from fulfilling on their own to thinking, oh, I can't manage this anymore. I need to do something better. Like, what's that point when they'd start looking to you? Typically, they should have a couple of million dollars in, in revenue. But that is also something we have identified that, of course, we have these large e-com players. But we also see that the market, as you say, is consisting of several smaller e-com players, as we call the SMBs. And what we have done now is to develop a concept to also enabling automation for them. So we have launched a new type of pricing model, which previously we only focused on full up upfront capex, but now we also enable more OPEX related pricing models as well to enable smaller companies to, to, to leverage the, the benefits of having automation as well. Okay. So I just want to clarify a couple of terms because you have an MBA or a master's <laughs> of science in finance and economics and supply chain. And so you're throwing around OPEX and CAPEX. Now, luckily I know no. what they mean. Yeah. Capital expenditure <laughs> is when you have to yes. put money up front and you're buying something that you're going to put in. OPEX is operational expenses, which you're going to pay as you go. So, yes. I mean, Marcus is a brilliant guy here because he's, <laughs> he's he specializes in some, you know, his specialty is completely different area, but now he's doing marketing. So just to clarify those terms. Okay. Yeah. So now you're, you're you. rather than somebody having to come up with a big capital expenditure, you're, you're enabling them to pay as they go to yes, use your services. Yeah, exactly. So we have decreased the upfront payment to approximately 20 to 30 percent depends on the on the on the design but then you pay per pick so when you pick up a, a product for an ordering then you pay a, a small number related to that so pay as you go basically and does this help at all with global distribution yeah so i would say and also given current macro environment this enables more customers that potentially have more, you know, not as, you know, the financial balance sheet to, to, to take on more loans, then they have more easier threshold to, to, to access automation, basically. Okay, so the automation would help pick and pack it, but they still have to figure out all the global regulations, laws, shipping, and all that. Yeah, Actors. exactly. So what? Yeah, so what we help with is the the, the storing and and order fulfillment. So storage and retrieval of the of the goods. Okay, so you can cut down your expenses for that, so you can open to global market and make it seamless. Okay, so now let's switch it over to global marketing. So you've taken over this fast growing company. Tell me, how are you going to market and spreading the world to your target markets? Yeah, so first of all, we have a go-to-market model, which includes our partners and their marketing teams. So we enabling them quite a lot. And then we also have our own team that focusing very much on, on two goals. And, and one is the brand awareness and general awareness around warehouse automation, because it's still very new to a lot of customers in, in different regions but also different segments. So I think that is one of our main goals to, to increase that awareness. 
in the market. Okay, and coming out of Norway, which countries are you focused on building your brand in? Yeah, so today we are present, as you say, in Norway, the US, most of the places in, in Europe, but also we have, you know, we have been established in, in Japan and South Korea as well. And also our APEC headquarters is in, in Singapore, but we have sales in, in most of the countries in, in APEC as well. Um, but there we have established offices. Okay. Are you in, are you in China? We don't have an office in China, but we have sites in China. So, okay. So you do sell into there, but maybe from some of the other. Okay. Yeah. And then how did you decide which countries to go into? It's based a bit on the characteristics. So of course, the business case about automation historically has been very much focused on, you know, what's the cost efficiencies and, you know, can I run my operations with fewer people? So of course, labor costs and, and uh, rent for warehouse space is, is two drivers, but also, you know, the, the density in the countries and the adaption to adoption to automation. So Japan and South Korea, especially in, in APEC, have come a long way in that, in that sense. Um, but we also see with the business case now turning a little bit, so more focused also on driving and enabling your growth, you know, store more in the space that you have and, and be more effective towards the customers. So also adoption of online is an interesting factor. Mm -hmm. And how do you run your global marketing? Is it done out centralized or is it more decentralized? How do you come up with your messaging or differentiators? And then how are you translating that to connect with your different markets? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So we have what we call a global team that is based out of Norway, where we do everything from product marketing, brand and content, creative and channels and data and so on and, and, and communication. But then we, in our key markets, we have what we call regional marketing, where we have managers, as you said, managing the translation of content, the distribution of it, make sure that we come across with our messaging in the right, in the right and most efficient way. Because a market like Germany is different compared to the UK or the US. So we put a lot of efforts into that. Okay, so talk to me about the differences that you'd see. I mean, your your how you you said how you do it in Germany versus the UK are very different. Yet you're still talking about efficiencies and pick and pack. And so, how do you have to adapt that for each market? Yeah, yeah, it's it's an interesting question, and I think. It, it, it's both different if we look at segments, of, uh, you know, e-com player have different needs and, and pain points compared to an industrial company or a healthcare company using our system or, or potentially want to use it. And, but across the markets, I would say we see different adoptions, for example, in, in the grocery space in, in Germany compared to the US, for example. That's one, but, but also the adoption of micro-fulfillment centers. So it can be it can be different across the different countries and regions. 
How how is it different the groceries in Germany versus the U.S.? I'm always fascinated <laughs> about buying and selling across no, countries. I, I would say the the online is a bit lower in in Germany compared to the U.S. and they have they are more focused on the large chains and price points. I would say. Oh, what we have seen. Okay, and so that means like grocery stores may be less of a target market in Germany. I wouldn't say less of a market, but I think the the adoption may take a little bit longer time. Okay. Okay. And so when you're okay, so when you're adapting it, it sounds like you're adapting it less by country culture and more by industry culture. Yeah, I, I think that is that is a good reference because we see that, for example, an e-com player have different pain points or key, you know, success factors compared to an industrial player. So let's say we take e-com, where you know the the trends of you know customer demand of lead times and shipping time is is much shorter every year, and 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 that requires some sort of of automation. So, for example. We have a site with Boost, which is one of the largest online apparel stores in, in the Nordics. And when a customer are ordering something online, it takes 48 seconds from that order until the product is provided at the port, ready to be, to be picked and packed, basically. And that, that, that's competitive. <laughs> My, if you could see me on video, my mouth is dropping 48 seconds. You're talking less than a minute for the order to go in and be ready to be picked and packed. If you have your automation system in there, that means that can happen because it's all set up to happen immediately. Nobody has to read it, get there, find out there's a mistake or interpret it or, you know, so how long would it take to pick and pack and get it ready yeah, it's different, but uh, I know at that site they are very efficient. So, so it's very quick. And but if we compare that to those type of you know competitiveness and, and need to stand out in that market, we can compare to the industrial space where maybe the that type of key success factor is not as important as you know or you know inventory accuracy, picking accuracy. We have sites, you know, with warehouses close to the assembly line or a production line. And then the need for knowing what you have for screws and bolts and so on is is very important. So you don't have to stop the line. So we see those type of differences. And, and, you know, that makes the messaging and, and all that very, very important. Yes. Okay. Okay. This is amazing. All right. So now what have you struggled the most with in global marketing? Yeah, I would say, you know, there are, you know, the benefits of our system and and what potential cultures and companies want to achieve can be different. So let's say in Japan and South Korea, they don't emphasize as much on, you know, cost efficiencies, especially related to people, but more want to, you know, realize operational efficiencies such as, you know, delivery times, time from order to to pick and and all that. But 
So, so that is a challenge to understand the cultural differences and, and how we should message the, the success factors from, from using our system. Uh, so that's, that's one example. Okay, so that is the biggest thing with global marketing is really making sure the message resonates through. And how do you, how do you do your market research? Yeah, so we yeah, so we both both do it internally, but then we also use uh, local agencies to to support us in that, and also, you know, everything from insights gathering, but also in the help of messaging in the right way and 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 translation. So we come across okay. in, in the right way. Yeah. Okay. And then how do you make sure your translation is accurate? Yeah. So we have our regional marketing managers that is, you know, proofreading, make sure that it's, it comes across the right way. And then I think it's about building up a good relationship with the agency that helps us. So we make sure that they understand our product, our industry and the right wordings, etc. And then are they finding a local translation agency in each market? Yeah, so it's a bit different from country to country. In some we have local translation and in some we have more, you know, it's the same company in two or three countries. Okay. And so you really don't manage that from a global level at all. No, so we, we coordinate and we have used global before, but we, we moved out to, to more having it on a regional and local basis. So if you have a translation done in Spain, you know, you have Spanish done in Spain, and then you would have it also done in any South American countries if you're in there, right? And so you would have a different locally created message going on and you're paying multiple times for the Spanish translation. Oh, okay. Okay. No, I, yeah, no, no. So that, that is not happening. So we don't, we don't have, no, we're not doing the same translation in the same, in the same language. So that is coordinated by global. So we leverage our, our translation in, in the right way. Oh, okay. Okay. Cause that's sometimes that I, you know, I always wonder if companies are doing it in the local markets, they're losing so many efficiencies and spending more money. If the messages yeah. are similar country to country and industry to industry. Yeah. 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 I, I, I've seen that before, but that is why we have, have that coordinated centrally and together with our regional marketing managers. Right. Right. I could keep going because I'm so fascinated about what you've accomplished and what you've done. Where do you see taking the company as you've, you're, you're fairly recent in the CMO role? What are your, your goals? Yes, I would say, you know, our big mission for our, you know, us, for our organization is to, is to create space. So the idea of optimizing space is, is our bigger mission where our technology reduces the warehouse as we talked about earlier you know in the if you in the same space as your warehouse today with an auto store you can you know warehouse the same amount in you know less in 75 percent less space percentage so so what we you know with our technology you releases both time space and energy uh, because it's very it's a very also very sustainable uh, solution uh, and this we believe can be used 
to explore new landscape of opportunities. So really a capacity for the benefit of both businesses, as we have discussed, but also society and the planet. So everything from the trends we are in discussion around, you know, smart cities and, and really leverage and, and maximize the, the, the space that is existing. Yeah. And so, you know, how do you as, so I see that as your global vision, which I think is phenomenal because I hadn't put that together about the smart cities and saving the planet. But if you use less space, that makes sense. So what are your action items on going forward? Like, how are you going to do that with global marketing? Yeah, I would say historically, you know, as we grow, LA grew historically, we focus very much on technology in our marketing, presenting, you know, what's the, our KPIs, what is the benefits and, you know, uptime of the system and peak accuracy, et cetera, et cetera. But what we will focus on going forward is to include more of the, the human element uh, more and more in our storytelling, focusing on, on our solution and what our customers can achieve, the society, et cetera. So, as, man, as I mentioned, you know, our mission is to create more space for, for citizens' livelihood, in a way. Um, yes. Okay. Which is very interesting because in a lot of companies outside of the U.S., I say, are more tactically based, you know, features based, mm. which those are what the numbers and yeah, that's what you're going to buy on. But what are you going to mm. start exploring on is, is you want those those benefits. So yeah. So, uh, yeah, sounds like you're the right person for the role. And I'm so impressed <laughs> with what you've done. So, you know, I always, always like to ask this question towards the end of the, the podcast interview. What's your favorite foreign word? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a fun question. So I would say as, as coming from Sweden, we have one word that is in Swedish, it's pronounced lagom. Uh, and I believe it's a word that is not really existing in other type of languages, but it's between enough and like, okay, sort of. So that is also my approach a little bit to try to keep it simple and, you know, always plan and so on, but, but focus on, on also execution. So that's why I, you know, I love the, the books of Marcus Sheridan of, you know, they ask, you tell, if we talk marketing books, I just love, I love that book. <laughs> I do too. I yeah. talk about it all the time. I have it oh, here yeah. sitting at my desk. <laughs> and the other one I have on my desk is the one that I wrote. It's called the language of global marketing. So I use yeah. a lot of his <laughs> concepts or I refer to his concepts in my book. Yes. I love Marcus yeah. Sheridan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. Keep it, keep it simple. And so uh, can you say the Swedish word for us again? Uh, lagom. Lagom. Oh, that's a good one. Okay. Well, Marcus, you have been, Marcus Mogius rather than Sheridan, you have been absolutely fascinating with talking about logistics because that's been such a hot topic and how people can simplify. Where can people reach you if they'd like more information? Yeah, so they are always welcome to contact me on, on my LinkedIn page. And also you can con you can reach me through our homepage. We have a contact form there as well. 
Okay. And go ahead and spell your name and then spell your website, your homepage. Yeah. So my name is Marcus with a C, Mogius, M-O-G-E-U-S. So you can find me on LinkedIn and our homepage at AutoStore is autostoresystem.com. Autostoresystem.com. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you being here. Yeah. Thank you as well. Lovely to be here. Okay. Yes, thank you. Okay, so if you enjoyed this episode, pass it on to somebody that you know who has an e-commerce company or a retail store or a warehouse, because if they haven't heard about Auto Store before, this sounds like a phenomenal opportunity on how to streamline and save the environment. And also, if you want to listen to any more of our podcast episodes, you can always go to Rapport translations and search for the podcast to see all to listen to all sorts of good episodes and if you don't want to go there of course you can find us on spotify and amazon and any place else love your feedback so come on back next time and we'll have another good guest for you that's a wrap for this session a big thanks to you for listening to the global marketing show hope you had just as much fun as i did New sessions launch weekly on all places you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and of course on our website. If you know someone interested in this topic, please tell them about us. Au revoir for now.